When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need Are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. When trying to shape the leadership culture, particularly the culture surrounding our politics, one of the problems that we face is the problem of disrespect. In the book, When Leaders Matter, I write, increased hostility toward leaders is commonplace, and it may be the product of democracy itself. And then I quote a British theologian, David Pawson, and he's writing about the church in Thessalonica. He says, a negative consequence is that people had little to no respect for their leaders. Now, we should be careful not to take Pawson's statement too far. Blind respect is not required, and there are certainly times when leaders lose our respect. But there are other times when the actions of leaders are in conflict with the personal conscience or the religious convictions that we hold. The question is this, is it possible to disagree, even disobey, without showing disrespect. That's what we're going to discuss today on The Leaders We Need, Leadership and Respect. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Well, I'm so thankful to have Cole Fakes again with me here to discuss the topic of leadership and respect. And, uh, you know, Cole, I remember a statement you made uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking uh, about recording these uh, conversations you know, when, I, when somebody writes a book like When Leaders Matter, you, you know, you're trying to get your ideas across, you believe in, in the things that you're hoping to convey and hoping people will hear, but really, uh, you're having a conversation with the reader. And so I've been really looking forward to these conversations because I get to actually have a conversation with a reader. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really excited to, to dive into specifically the topic of leadership and respect. Um, you also made a statement to me a few weeks ago. Uh, you said that, that the topic of this book, When Leaders Matter, uh, specifically the idea of how you engage with leaders, how you think about our politics and political leaders in particular, it's really very personal. Cole, you, you've served in leadership positions. Uh, you've been in large organizations. You've been in church leadership. You provide regular and insightful commentary on culture and politics uh, through So We Speak. Um, where have you seen the problem of disrespect? Well, uh, Joel, I'm glad to be back and having these conversations and really look forward to diving into the ideas in this book and the ways that you're going about encouraging people to step up and uh, ask for more for leaders. And as you've talked about, engaging them and then becoming a leader yourself. 
And I think one of the things that's most crucial about uh, interfacing with leaders and becoming a leader is thinking through the topic of respect. And if you think about our culture, um, it's easy to accuse other people of having a lack of respect or saying we've got a big disrespect problem. And one of the reasons I think that's true is because we've lost the relational framework with a lot of our leaders. So for example, even on a local level, you probably know your leaders through social media better than you do in person or going to events or getting to know the people that work with them or you know your your level of connection with these people is much more digital than it is in person. Right. And one of the things that you see on social media is people are willing to say things and treat people in ways that they probably wouldn't if they had a relationship right. with that our, person. Our filter for respect is gone. It's gone. Yeah. It's completely gone. And so um, the things that we say to each other become more disrespectful. And the other thing I would say is um, when you don't have that necessity of building a relationship, your priorities are different. Mm-hmm. And when we look at leadership in a context of relationship, part of the things you have to remember is it's it's more than just being right. In fact, yeah. it, being right is to the absolute minimum of what we want from our leaders and what we expect of ourselves. Because if you're going to build a relationship with someone, you don't just need to be right. You need to be on the same team. Right. And being on the same team and, and fighting for something that you hold in common. And, and uh, even when friendships cross political divides or religious divides, it's treating that person with respect and showing common humanity and uh, finding the things that you can all agree with. Everything about that is encapsulated by respect. And so I think one of the things we want to dive into today is how do you disagree with someone, but also maintain a level of respect for that person that that allows you to still build a relationship. And in the book, one of the things you do is you share six lessons that we can talk about, about how to disagree, even disobey, especially when we're talking in a political context. How do we disobey uh, or disagree with governing authorities without disrespecting them. So I, I thought it'd be good to start out the conversation by diving into those a little bit. Absolutely. Would, lo- would love to. You know, And as I was listening to you kind of think through some of the ways that you, you handle disrespect or, or address it, uh, you know, something that came to my mind is, is this idea um, of, of considering others before yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's there's a way that we as society and as an or maybe think of your organization or your company that it's not just uh, getting your ideas out there and won and winning the day. Uh, it's it's really listening to the ideas of others, hearing mm-hmm. hearing what they have to say, see where you can help those around you to to thrive and, and grow and, and what they're bringing to the table. Um, it doesn't mean that you you always agree with them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I I often say when I'm talking to groups about how to engage leaders, we're not surprised to learn that our leaders don't always agree. Um, but it may be surprising to to realize that they're not actually always supposed to. They mm-hmm. they have differences, and those differences are real and they are important. Uh, their job is not to always agree. Their job is to navigate those mm. areas of disagreement. And that's where respect and, and promoting a culture of respect is just paramount. If we want our leaders to truly do that, mm-hmm. to navigate those areas of disagreement, to really find the innovative solutions, then it is our responsibility as, as a whole society to create that culture of respect if, if we have any realistic expectation for them to do it. Yeah, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we actually want our leaders to disagree. Right. And we want them to do so in a way that's actually productive. 
um, and that, that that really is the business of me- developing policy and coming to solutions and, and thinking about different ways to achieve the goals that probably a lot of us share, even if we disagree how to accomplish them. Right. Well, and also, you know, our problems are not uh, simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're complex. And that means the solutions are going to be complex as well. It, it's not just an up, down, right, left uh, answer. And it's going to take, you know, hard conversations, navigating different needs and priorities to really create that kind of innovation that's going to move us forward. And that's what we really want and believe could happen. Well, in the book, you know, I, I do, I, I, I pull six lessons uh, about how we can disagree, even disobey, without showing disrespect. And, and I go to uh, the book of Daniel, the story of, of Daniel, to find these lessons. And I, I share them uh, in the first chapter. And just real quickly, let me kind of set it up. So in, in the story of Daniel, we are essentially reading uh, about two key conflicts. Um, and, and the conflicts are, are centered around uh, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have been carried off into captivity and are living in a foreign land and are, and are raised up and taught to then serve the leadership and the king of that foreign land. And so the first conflict uh, centers around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, is, uh, is putting a policy in place that will require all the people to bow down and worship an idol made in, in uh, we're not quite sure exactly, but basically his image, mm-hmm. uh, something to that effect. And, and, uh, and so this is a, a, a conflict with their personal religious convictions. You know, the, you know, the first of the, of the commandments is to have no other gods before God. And so to, to follow this law would put them in immediate conflict with their own personal and religious convictions. The second conflict is when uh, another king, uh, King Darius, is influenced and advised by really wicked and evil conniving advisors to put a, a law in place that would prohibit uh, the people from praying to any god other than the king. And so this, again, it's the same conflict. You will have no other gods before me. So now Daniel is put in a place of being in conflict with his religious conviction if he were to follow this law. On the one hand, you've got uh, a conflict over a, a law requiring a behavior. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you've got a conflict uh, over a law prohibiting a behavior, but right. it, cre- it creates a true conflict uh, that that these men, uh, there's no other way around it. Mm-hmm. This is not something they can agree with, and it's actually not something they can obey. So six quick lessons. Uh, the first lesson to learn is that uh, neither uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, nor Daniel, in either of these conflicts, uh, did they compromise their personal convictions. They consistently acted in a manner that was that was in, in compliance and, and in consistency with their faith and religious convictions. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a heated confrontation with the king, and they they simply say they will not do this. Daniel, uh, he continues his regular practice. So the, that's the first lesson to learn is that is that when laws come down and rules or policies are implemented that are truly in conflict 
with our convictions, uh, we we can learn from from this instance in history that you can maintain your religious conviction. It may be hard, there may be consequences, but that's the first lesson. You don't mm-hmm. compromise your own convictions because of, of a policy or an action of a leader that you disagree with. Right. And one of the principles that's going to underlie all of these lessons is you actually have to know what your convictions are. Yeah. Look, faith really matters. Mm-hmm. And what you believe really matters. It's not as though uh, we're pretending like everybody agrees or we're pretending like your convictions are the same as everybody else's. One of the things that set Daniel and his friends apart from everybody else was they knew what they believed. Yeah. They knew what their convictions were. And they saw that their convictions were actually opposed to the laws of the land. And so then they had a decision to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, those situations only arise when you have a clear uh, established vision of what it is that you believe. That's going to take courage. And and that really underlies the, the whole uh, thrust of, of the entire book and, and the method and the process. This is not, um, this method for engaging leaders, I do believe, will cut through the incivility and will promote uh, the kind of integrity we need in our leaders and the kind of culture we, we truly want. It's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not going to happen by accident. Uh, we're going to have to work at it and be patient, but we're also going to have to have courage. Right. Well, these men did. They yeah. knew what they believed, and they had the courage, and they made a personal decision to disobey. And why do I say personal decision? Because sometimes it's a, it, our tendency is we'll take a bold statement or a bold action if we can surround ourselves with a lot of people to help us along the way. Right. And actually, that's that's a large a large uh, strategy to how our politics work. Coalition building, get your voting block. I mean, you want to get more people around you so you can have more power and influence. Uh, and and I'm not denying that that's not an effective strategy in politics, but that's not the lesson here. The mm-hmm. lesson here is to courageously make a personal decision. I will not compromise my convictions. I will act in a way that is consistent with them. The third lesson that we learn from these two instances is that they never denied the legitimate authority of the rulers, of the kings. Uh, even though these these laws were were horrible. They, I mean, they were just bad laws. Even so, they never denied that the king had the right to enact those policies. The fourth lesson, I think this is probably one of the most significant and, and meaningful lessons that we learn, is that these men were willing to pay the penalty for their disobedience. And in their, in their case, it was a capital crime. There's something so powerful when somebody is willing to disobey on a matter of conviction, what they believe is right, but they are willing to pay the price for that disobedience. I think in more modern times, um, what I think of and probably comes to most people's minds is the civil rights movement. Uh, and, you know, I, I cite. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and his letters from a Birmingham jail. And if you read those letter, that letter, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And they, and he, he, you know, we asked ourselves. He writes, "Are you willing to endure uh, the the penalty? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to take blows? Are you willing to serve jail time?" They asked themselves those questions yeah. uh, before they embarked on that very noble uh, uh, path of advocating for civil rights. It's not just what he wrote. It's not just the content of that letter that's so moving. It's the fact that it was written from the Birmingham jail. 
Right. He was he was in the midst of paying the penalty for his for his disobedience. And now this is a hard lesson because no one should ever have to pay the penalty for an unjust law, whether it's uh, a royal edict in ancient Babylon or it's the unjust Jim Crow laws of the American South in the 60s. No one should have to pay the penalty. Yeah. But some do. That's exactly why they do. Is because no one should have to. And it makes their sacrifice all the more inspiring. Yeah, this one really highlights where courage comes in. Mm-hmm. If there isn't a penalty, um, if, there's, if there's nothing that you have to pay for disobedience, then it's not a courageous act. Right. And a lot of times... When there are disagreements, and if, if, if we want to bring about change, there's going to have to be penalties to pay. Mm-hmm. There's going to have to be uh, some courage that we bear up with to make the change that we want to see happen. But there are certain ways to be courageous, I think, that are, that are more, advantage, more to our advantage than others. And, and um, there are ways to be courageous that actually move us off the mark that we started yeah. from. And this, the next two points, I think give that a nice frame. It's mm-hmm. it, 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 We're not just saying anything that, that demands a penalty or anything that seems courageous or swimming against the grain is the right thing to do. No, it's working from a principled... Uh, we've talked about personal convictions. We've talked about um, respecting the structures that we live within. But these next two points really lay the foundation for when it's time to be courageous. Yeah. The, the fifth lesson that we learn from these two conflicts is that Neither Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, nor Daniel, they, they never stopped trusting God. What I would love to say to any reader who is coming at this book and at this idea of, of engaging leaders from a, from a position of being a, a Christian um, or, a, or a person of faith in God, um, trust God a little more. God is at work. Um, the you know his hand is still on the the events of human history. Mm-hmm. We can trust God with our with our country. We can trust God with our state. We can trust God with our leaders. Uh, but we can trust God with our future. Mm-hmm. If if God has been faithful in our past and He is with us in our present, then we can trust Him with our future. That's right. Well, the last lesson that I think is one of the most important and obvious for the the topic of today is that through all of this, through each one of these actions, each one of these lessons that these, uh, these people teach us, never once along the way did they ever disrespect the king. Mm-hmm. Um, the, when when uh, the, the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are responding to king, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, they say, you know, our God is able to deliver us from you, O king. They're still referring to him and, and, and honoring and recognizing his, his position as a governing ruler. They respect that. And uh, when Daniel is uh, found still alive, you know, he's, he's tossed into a lion's den and they roll away the stone and, and King Darius calls down and says, are you still alive? Did your God deliver you? I love the way Daniel responds. He says, yes, I am well. I'm alive. But he says, because I've done nothing wrong, not against God and not against you, O king, may you live forever. Mm-hmm. Which is the customary way that you would refer and speak to the king, giving him that honor. Mm-hmm. Even though he's just endured all that he's endured, 
the malicious uh, attack of those other advisors, the unjust law, the courage to disobey, the, the conviction to stand and do what was right, the, the willingness to pay the price, uh, the, the immense amount of trust he had that God was with him all along the way and yet never disrespected the king. Well, Joel, one of the things I appreciate about this conversation specifically is there are so many ways to live this out practically. It's yeah. one thing to say we need to be willing to be courageous, we need to be respectful, we need to be trusting God, but uh, it's another thing to take the advantage, take advantage of the opportunities that are presented. And there are a lot of those, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've seen that in, in your work with um, Capital Culture and your work just... Uh, ministering to people in really difficult times. Really, one of the first things I would like to say is just start doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The culture has gotten so um, absent of of the respect that we're looking for that when you actually will do it and will show it, it, it stands out. It's like a breath of fresh air when you do it. So, and it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be these some grand super gesture. It's just the little acts of re- of showing respect along the way, um, the, and they're so refreshing because it's like light in the darkness. You can just see it so clearly. So I really want to encourage people, do it. Just start. Start small. Start with a tweet. <laughs> start yeah. start like that, and it is so refreshing. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is, is to counsel people and, and to answer questions and help give a little guidance as they're navigating some of these uh, some of these difficulties. Uh, or, or challenges, or they they feel like they're not quite sure how to do this. They they hear this message and they want to do it, but they're not quite sure how. A few years ago, I was speaking at uh, at an event. And there's you know 100 or so people there, so it wasn't super huge, and there's a lot of opportunity to to after I was done speaking to dialogue and and, I, and this person came up to me who's been very involved in uh, criminal justice reform, and and that's been a hot topic. A lot of work has been done. Particularly in Oklahoma, but really across the nation, in the area of criminal justice reform in recent years, and this individual is really invested. Has been counseling inmates and helping uh, inmates get plans to transition out and be uh, be able to navigate into a job and be uh, successful to reduce the prison recidivism instances and these people that that they are actually working with. So very involved, very invested, and so clearly very passionate. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they have navigated the system. They see the areas where things need to change. So, So they're passionate, they're involved, and they're competent. They were aware. They could see what yeah. needed to be changed. So I was talking to this individual, and and a, there was somebody in in their community, and I'm not I'm not quite sure if it was a if it was a prosecutor or if it was an elected leader in the local community, but they'd written an op-ed uh, about criminal justice reform, and 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 this person I was talking to was so troubled by it. I mean, to the point of almost tears, was so conflicted and troubled by it and could not disagree more with what was written and really wanted to respond, but but they could sense that all they wanted to do was just tear them down. Right. And they had just heard me give a speech about respecting leaders and promoting civility. And so they were, how do we do this? So we, we began a dialogue and 
And again, when your passions are so closely tied into it, sometimes you lose sight of the things you, you know. So I don't think anything I told this person they didn't necessarily already know to do, but it was just so helpful to talk through it. And so, you know, I, I suggested a personal connection, whether it's a phone call or write a letter directly, but don't write an opposing op-ed. Don't try to just spin up the, the conflict in the press and in the public, but engage them personally. Um, go back and read their op-ed. Try and find uh, one thing mm-hmm. that you agree with. You understand that this person that you disagree with, they're not uh, naive or a novice. They're not, I mean, they're invested in criminal justice as well. And you can show them a, re- a great level of respect by acknowledging they, they work in this field too. Mm-hmm. And they, they deal with what's going on in this particular uh, area of of our society, specifically in, in terms of crime and dealing with crime. And, and, and so go back and look at what they've written. See if you can find one thing that you, you can agree with. And if you can't find one thing you can agree with, find something they say that you can acknowledge where they're coming from. Right. And go back and engage a conversation with them, having shown them that you really want to understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree. And on the other side of this conversation... You may not agree still, but now you've, you've begun to, to navigate this conflict with a great level of grace, generosity, and respect, and then remember to trust your convictions, trust in God, trust uh, in something higher than yourself. You know, if, if you put all the pressure on yourself to solve the criminal justice uh, issues in your county or in our state, that is a, that's a burden that is too great for you to bear uh, by yourself. Now, it is a burden that I think that you can probably make a huge difference in. But you can trust that, that there's a larger uh, a game going on and there's, there's more that's happening, there's a future, and you can make progress and you can rest in that. And then just see where, where the conversation goes. Nothing that I shared with them, uh, you know, I I think they didn't already know. Um, But there was just such a sense of relief as we were having that conversation because where the disagreement and passion and conflict created just this sense of there's no way forward. This is is just irreconcilable. Mm -hmm. To now suddenly there's a way forward. I, I was, by happenstance, I was at um, a, a small event in somebody's home and uh, bumped into this person again. And they just came up and profusely thanked me for, uh, for that advice and, and that they did follow it and they had a really productive conversation and they will um, never agree <laughs> with that right. person that they were talking to. But it was such a, a, a positive, meaningful conversation. They really felt like they were equipped to navigate that. And so if you think about it, you know, these six lessons, you know, they, they, this person never compromised their convictions. They, they never stopped trusting. Uh, and and they, they never showed disrespect along the way. They mm-hmm. put those three of those six lessons into practice, and it worked. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that we need other people, mm-hmm. not just for our ideas to be challenged, not just to collaborate on problems, but sometimes we just need other people for encouragement. 
Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.